Rick is teaching this morning from Luke 2, 39 through 50. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So I'm not sure if Luke knew Mary very well or not. Um, But if he did, uh, I think that they probably had a contentious relationship because... um, I'm sure, or at least after Mary read Luke's gospel, um, she probably got angry. Like, why'd you have to put that in there? Like, why did you have to put my, my worst parental moment in there? She left her son. Um, she left her son. Like, parents in the room, don't deify Mary. Because she does things like leave her son uh, hundreds of miles away. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting that, that she does this. Um, let's, let's pray, and then we'll dig into the scripture. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Um, thank you for this opportunity that you've given each of us here today to um, dig into your scripture. God, guide us as we talk, guide us as we think, um, center our minds and our hearts around your son, Jesus, um, and allow us to understand what it is that, that you want to say to us this morning. Again, thanks for Jesus and thanks for this morning. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Um, so, it's really fascinating here. Jesus is 12 years old in the story, and it's it's interesting to think about Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, um, and but at one point in the world, he was a 12-year-old boy. And so this is a story that happened one time when Jesus was 12. Um, verse 39, let's just dig right in here. Um, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their, they returned into Galilee to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom, and when the feast ended, they were returning, and the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. Um, I, I want to say something kind of parenthetically about these first few verses here. Um, the things that are happening here, they go according to the custom, according to ritual, they go to Jerusalem to eat the feast of the Passover. And I want to 
as we gather as a church every Sunday and, and for community groups and as we do the things that we do, and, and most, most particularly as we end our service every week, we end our service inviting you to the two tables up here to engage with God. To, and and the, the thing that makes me nervous about this just in general, but it makes me even more nervous when I read a passage like this, is that ritual can be scary Ritual can be, can cause you to become numb to something that's really valuable. So the ritual of the Feast of the Passover, what is that? So the Feast of the Passover, every year, the people of God gather together in Jerusalem for a celebration. And it was actually happening the, the weekend that, that Jesus died. They were coming together for the Feast of the Passover. But here, as a 12-year-old, all of the religious people, all of the people who, who claim to have faith in God come together in Jerusalem for a very ritualistic thing. And when something is ritualistic and it becomes less about what it's intended to be and more about the ritual, there's danger, there's numbness that happens. I think the reason that they left their son here is because this became a numb, monotonous ritual. Um, and like how how do you how do you forget your son but more than that how do you forget your son who you know to be the son of god how do you forget him um i don't understand and i think the answer is ritual this ritual shows everyone to the young and to the old that god has protected and provided for his people over the course of time. And it's good to remind ourselves inside of the faith, and it's good to remind those outside of the faith all the things that God has done to bring us to this place. I want to think our, uh, let's, let's think about our context. That's their context. The ritual that happens for us on a consistent basis is, and I had this, this conversation this week. I was with a bunch of pastors actually in this room. We met for, uh, lunch and some discussion and prayer this room on, on Tuesday. And one of the guys who was there, we, the conversation just came up about, um, do you guys take communion every week? And a couple of the guys said, yeah, we do. A couple of the guys said, no, we didn't. And we talked about why, like why you do it every week and why you don't do it every week. And uh, the, the answer that, to why they don't do it every week is because they don't want it to become ritual. They don't want it to become a habit. They don't want it to become, okay, now is the time in the service where we stand and go to the table and we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the bowl and we, we eat it and then we go sit back down. That's ritual. When we, for those who, who were interested in, the reason we do it every week is because we want every week to be confronted with a broken and bloody and resurrected Jesus Christ. And we want that to happen every week for us to remember and reflect upon what Jesus has done and then contextualize that to what is happening here in the message or what is happening here in this church or what is happening here in the city in this culture and and have the crucifixion speak to us every week that's important so you see the tension the danger that's there and so this week as we um at the end of the service i'm going to get get finished talking and josh and kelly are going to come back up here and we're going to invite you to come to the table and engage with god and it has an opportunity for you to be ritualistic and be numb and you forget completely what what the purpose of it is or it has a great opportunity to remind you of the beauty of the the sacrifice of jesus and more than that 
not just the sacrifice of Jesus, but the reason that Jesus had to sacrifice in the first place. When we, when we partake of communion, when we commune with a holy God, we're reminded of our own sin. And then we're reminded of the, of the provision for that sin. And, and that's a sermon that can be spoken to you every single week here. But it's, it's also a ritual that can numb that sermon to you every single week. So it's scary. And, it, and the ritual of Passover brought Mary and Joseph to the place where they don't even know that their kid's not with them. It's just numb. It's just, we do this every year. Let's go and do this and, oh, shoot. And then what's, what's even more remarkable is what continues to happen. But supposing him to be, at verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. So they, they thought about it, and then they decided, eh, he'll be okay. And when they did not find him, they were, so they, they realized that he wasn't with them, and so they went back to Jerusalem. And after three days, moms, imagine three days, <laughs> my wife is shaking her head right now, um, three days happened where she did not know where her son was. Now, it's a different culture, so, you know, maybe a little bit better, but still, to forget your son for, and not know where he is for three days, I'm sure, was very frustrating. Um, two verses, verses 47 and 48, I want to zero in on, uh, they'll be on the screen. Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's sitting in the temple and he's talking with the leaders, the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And the people that heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Look closely at these two verses. The first thing I want to bring into our minds is that Jesus is amazing. Jesus is amazing. He's 12 years old. He's 12 years old. Um, And he's astonishing. He's amazing. The teachers, these are the, the professionals, like their job is to know and understand the scriptures. And Jesus is here and they amaze him. It's incredible. Um, when the thing that, that I've found in this culture in 2018 about the amazing nature of Jesus is there are, there are poles in our society, in our culture right now. We're in probably the, I, I can't think of a more polarizing time than right now in, in my 47 years. Um, and more than that, there's a polarizing nature to our time, but there's a polarizing nature to the gospel. There's a polarizing nature to religion. There's a polarizing nature to Jesus. You'll get some people on this pole to, to hold up Jesus as this. The reason why we have to do these things in our, in our politics the reason why we have to do these things in our social justice. The reason why we don't have to do these. And, and people hold the same Jesus up to different things. And it's really the Jesus that they've made in their own image to, to create these things. So 
the amazing thing about Christ is that he speaks to both of those poles. He brings life together in such a way that, that brings unity. And we're going to talk a lot about unity in the coming weeks here as a church. Jesus is amazing as what he teaches is amazing. The second thing he says, and his parents saw him and they were astonished. The, a better translated word from the original Greek is probably a word confounding. They weren't astonished like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. When I think of astonished, that's what I see. What, that's what I see. This word means something more than that. They were confounded like they just didn't understand. They just didn't understand. And um, thinking about this word brings great freedom to my brain because this is Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, finding Jesus, and they are confounded by him. Have you, are you confounded by Jesus? Like, what in the world are you thinking? Like, look around our world, and I think about that all the time. God, what are you, what are you thinking? What's going on? I'm confounded by Jesus. I'm confounded by God. I'm, I'm, I can't understand what he's doing. And the freeing part about this passage is Mary is confounded here. I just don't know what Jesus is doing in my life. I don't know what Jesus is doing in, their, in your life. I don't know, I don't understand. And I see my questions that pop up, but it's freeing to know that Mary was confounded. And then verse 48, and this is, this is an incredible, that after the period there, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Like I, I've often like wondered, like what is, what is, how does Mary parent God? And as, as parents, there are times where, like, I'm seeing myself punishing or being upset at my, my child, and I think to myself, I am, I am currently making an error as a parent right now. And I just press right on through and continue to make that error as a parent. Um, this is Mary, a fallible woman who just left her son in a different city for three days angry at Jesus because he has treated them badly. Do you see yourself? You get angry at God because you did something stupid. And we pour out our complaint to God because we've done something stupid. And the result of that complaint that Mary pours out to Jesus is behold your father and I have been searching for you in great distress like this is I see myself so much and I hope that you see yourself there's a beauty to this it's incredible to think that when we impose our sin on God and say God you've done something wrong to me, the result is almost always us in stress. Distress here in this context, the Greek word is a, a, 
a compound word that means the time after, so it's a preposition meaning after, and struck means being physically struck, like a punch. So what they say, what, what Mary says here to her son is, why have you treated us like this? The result of you treating us like this, Jesus, is what it feels like after I get punched in the gut. Why did you do this to me? To cause intense pain. And this is, like, I, I, want, I, I need you to, to see this. How many times have you asked God this question? Why have you treated me like this? And I'm, I'm so distressed, God. Let's move on to Jesus' response. Verse 49. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand what he was saying to them. This is, this is so hopeful and so freeing to the confused. And I'm a pastor. Like, my job is to know and understand the will of God and share it with you. And I'm confused. So I've got to understand that you guys are confused. Like, what are you doing? God, what's happening? Why, why are these things happening? Why are you allowing these things to happen? Why are you causing these things to happen? Why is there sin in my life? Why can't I get, get rid of this perpetual sin that's in my life? Why I'm confounded by you, God. And the result of me being confounded by you, God, is that I feel like I've been punched in the gut. I'm greatly distressed. And I hope you see the freedom that's here. And I hope you, you see the beauty of Christ's response to this. Verse 49, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Seems like every time I, I, I preach a familiar passage, and this may be a familiar passage to you, this verse is familiar to me. Why, why are you looking for me? You know I've, I've got to be in my, my father's house. I've heard that verse many times. And when I hear a familiar verse, I like to study it deeply. And this language here, I must be in my father's house, is the language here means I must be in the things of the father. The language isn't just I, I, I'm supposed to be at church. That's what I always heard. Why didn't you expect me to be at church? Because I'm supposed to be at church. But that's not what this language means. The things, the things that God concerns himself with I concern myself with. The character and nature of God are the things that I concern myself with. I need to be in the things of God. Do you see that? I want to understand. I want to be all up in God. If we were to... I wish that I was a little bit cooler and could deliver that line in a beautiful way. But in our context, in our culture, that's what this word means. This language means, I want to be all up in you, God. And that's, this is the life of Jesus. And, and so, so go back to, to the rituals. And the point of rituals is to connect our hearts with God. And com- connect our hearts with what he's done. And then go, go back to like what we want to be as a church. And, and, and go back to how we want to view and see the world and the polarization that's happening. And, and then we understand 
the beauty of Jesus, how he can take the right and the left and bring them together in this beautiful picture, in this beautiful way. And think about all those things that we long for and we hope for. As a church, as a people, as, as citizens of a, of, a, of a city, as citizens of a state, as soon as citizens of a nation, as citizens of a world, all the things that we long for and how they're rooted in, and we just want to be, we want to have the response that Christ has. We want to have the peace that Christ has and the response of Jesus in the middle of that. When we pour our complaint to him, when, when he hears our complaint, when he sees that we're confounded, at, when he amazes us and all these things that, that we've talked about, when, he, when we're stressed out, when we've been punched in the gut, the response of Christ to get to where he is, to be able to be all that he is, is this, I'm going to be in the things of the Father. And I think to myself, that sounds really good. Let's do it. I'm in. Let's go be in the things of the Father. But there's a voice in my head saying, who, you stupid, stupid man, who do you think you're kidding? Can, can I be real? Like, and like we wake up in the morning, I wake up in the morning, and my alarm goes off, and I've got 30 minutes of time to choose how I'm going to, to, to spend this 30 minutes. Does my brain in that moment say, I want to be in the things of the Father? Or does my brain say in that moment, I want to be in the things of Rick? Likely, my brain says, I want to be asleep. But there's what's offered to us, what's offered to you because of the life of Jesus is the opportunity to be in the things of the Father, to understand his character, to understand his nature, to be able to be affected in such a way that we are in him. And that idea to be like Jesus as he was trying to be in the things of the Father is the vision for our summer. And I want to, I hope that you don't get frustrated at me, but I'm going to say these things again for the third week in a row, that we want to pray, disciple, and serve all summer long. That's our vision for the summer. That is who we want to be this summer. And here's the beauty, as I didn't have some time out in the woods where I sought the Lord and he gave me this big long vision and, and connected it with all of these series and, and the passages in Luke but, but God is working this stuff I want to talk about each one of these three things really quickly in, in the last few minutes that we have together first to serve um, as we think about Jesus being about the things of God, Jesus came to serve and not be served. This summer, we have one big opportunity to serve. Um, there's the spring cleaning event. Flyers are in the back. Take some, pass them out to your friends and neighbors, and we want to serve. All the details are there. So we have a big corporate service project for us to do as a church. But 
I want you to see in the middle of this is an exercise that we have that has a purpose beyond just the exercise. The purpose is for us to begin to understand and relate to the character of Christ and what he was about and what he was doing. So what we're going to be doing corporately, we want to learn and study to be doing individually. And that's why we're some community groups have passed out flyers, but we've also been asking you every week for three weeks to take three or four or five home and pass them out to people around your home, the people that you are in relationship and you are engaged with to pass them out. Because the point of this is twofold. One is so that we can serve our community, but two is so that we as individuals, as a collective, can learn to serve individually. And it's not just about the service. It's about us being in the things of God, as Jesus was. Disciple, um, we're going to press pause on the Witness series and the Luke series after this week. So next week, we're moving into a different little uh, sub-series for the summer. It's going to be studying the Psalms. And we have six goals for this Psalms series. Um, And we'll talk about all six of them next week. But one of them I want to talk about today is one of the goals of this, the reason we're pushing pause is for this pray, disciple, serve um, vision, but to center in on this idea of discipleship. The Psalms are a great on-ramp. Here's one of the six purposes. They're a great on-ramp to discipleship relationships. Um, One of the things that we've um, ebbed and flowed with here at this church over 11 years is this idea of discipleship. Sometimes we're doing it really well, and other times there's just nothing happening. And we want to put this back in front of us. So we're going to walk through the Psalms together as a corporate, as a collective, with the purpose and with the intent that this would be an on-ramp for you to begin to be in relationships that are centered around discipleship. And Here's, here's a little bit I want to press in on when I say discipleship, what you hear. When I say discipleship, a lot of times what you hear, and, and many times what I hear is this. There's somebody that's up here that's going to talk to somebody that's down here, and they're going to bring this person up. They're going to disciple them in that. That's truth. That's, that's part of what discipleship is. But there's also people that are right here together, or people that are here, or people that are here today and here tomorrow, or here today, and there's this, this sliding scale. But the purpose is for individuals to be together in relationship on a consistent basis for one purpose, to understand the character and nature of God. Like, I'm friends, I'm going to engage Rick Allen in a discipleship relationship this summer, and the purpose of that. It's not so that Rick will like me better or that he'll like any of that. The purpose of that is for the two of us together to be together to understand the nature and character of God. And there's no better place and no easier place to get in that on-ramp than the Psalms. So starting next week for the month of June and the month of July and the first two or the the first two weeks in August, the five Sundays in July, and the four Sundays in June, for those 11 weeks, we are going to study a particular psalm, a particular word in a psalm. And 
A big purpose for that is to be an easy on-ramp for you to get into a discipleship relationship. So here's what I want you to do. Look around the room right now. Physically do that. Look around. Look at people. Think, say their names in your head. Everyone in this room just heard me say that everyone in this room is going to be beginning to be focusing on having a discipleship relationship. So let that little notion where you guys are looking around the room take away awkwardness for the text. Do I send this text or do I not send this text to this person? Knowing that the person in this room heard me say one of the purposes of our summer is to be in discipleship relationships. So everybody is looking for them. Well, I don't... Chase it away. And, and also, there's no... We don't have to be here and here. This is a relationship whose goal is for us together to work towards this idea that we are connecting with the heart of God. And there's, there's, it's so simple to, to study a, a psalm. Let me give you some help. And we'll, I'll talk more about this next week as well. Um, that we come to a psalm and maybe it's a psalm that has six verses. Ooh, that's a good one. Only six verses. Or maybe it's a psalm that has... 150 verses. Oh man, I got to do all of these? No, like the, the purpose is to understand the character and traits of who God is and talk about them together. God has given us this as a gift. As we study and engage the Psalms, if you read Psalm 26 today and Psalm 26 too is just brilliant and really reveals and ex- the character of God just jumps off the page and explodes the into your brain, stop and just dwell there. And then go to your discipleship group or your discipleship person you're in this relationship with that you get coffee with every Tuesday morning at 6.30. Or you grab lunch with in the afternoon because you work near one another. You sit down and say, dude, did you, like, we, Psalm 26 too just exploded to me and here's, here's how it exploded to me. And then you, you ask yourself two questions, two simple questions. How is this verse, this phrase, this word revealing the character of God? And then answer that question and talk to your friend about it. And then the second thing is, how is that revealed character of God, what does that do here in my context? You just had a discipleship relationship. So easy, so simple. And we're like, we are confounded by God. You are confounded by God, but it's, it's just really, really pretty simple. Um, and then the last piece of our summer is to pray. Eugene Peterson says this about the Psalms. The prayer book of the Bible is the Psalms. We should be immersed in the Psalms. And our prayer, prayer life would be immeasurably enriched if we were immersed in the Psalms. This summer, we're going to immerse ourselves in the Psalms. And the hope is that it gives language to us to say back to God and teaches us how to pray, what to pray, revealing the nature and character of God so that we can pray to him. I hope this is very, very practical. Um, And we'll talk a lot more about praying the Psalms 
and engaging prayer through the Psalms next week. Uh, verse 49, I want to come back to that as, we, as I wrap it up this morning. And he said to them, his confounded and distressed parents, I don't want you to miss that. I don't want to miss that. Ritual had brought them to a place where they were confounded and distressed and angry at God and, and accused God of something. And the response of Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, our only hope was this. Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Did you not know that I must be all about the things of God, in the things of God? This is where Christ is pointing North Church for the next 11 weeks, for this summer. God is pointing us in that direction to, to put us, a confounded and distressed and, and distracted people. God is pointing us to this. We're going to be in the things of God. And this morning, it starts with this ritual that is response time where we stand and we sing and your mind goes to wherever it goes. I'm asking, I'm praying that we would pause, push pause on wherever our brain's going to go and instead center in on God this morning. How is it, what is it, who is it that you're going to use in me and around me to get into the things of God. And as the ritual happens, as we partake of communion, as we give, and as we pray, and as we sing, and all that ritual happens, seize an opportunity that that a holy God, a perfect and beautiful, wonderful and personal God, who's given you a Messiah, stands before you, wanting to talk to you. I'm overwhelmed. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for his perfect example. Thank you that he was in the things of the Father. Thank you for his perfect example of a life lived in service, a life lived in discipling, and a life lived in prayer. God, and I pray for this summer, God, would you change our hearts individually. And we change the heart of this church collectively, Father, that we might be a place where we are a people in the things of God. God, I pray for the people in this room and the people that that are typically in this room and the people that connect with this church, Father. I, I pray, God, that we would engage the vision that you've given to us, that we would pray and disciple and serve this summer as a unit and as individuals. And the response, the the result of that would be just intimacy with you. God, you've convinced my heart, you've convinced everything about me that the, the greatest pleasures and joys that this world gives to us is intimacy with you. And Father, you've shown us and told us time and time again through your scripture 
that in you alone lies life. You have come to give us life. Abundant, joy-filled, beautiful life. But God, I ask now that you would draw our hearts to you, Father, and you would cause us in some way, in some capacity, to engage with the visions you've given to us. Got to pray against anything that's going to hold against an engagement in a discipleship relationship. I pray against a, a, a somehow thinking that we need to be doing something different or we need to be sleeping or, or we don't have time for this, Father. But instead, would you convince us and convict us? And would you build relationships in this place that are rooted and founded on your son, Jesus, and rooted and founded in us diving into who you are. And God, would you use your psalms to light up, to allow us to see your character and see your purposes and see your visions and see who you are. And then may that allow us to be a unified church moving towards knowledge of you. Thank you for Jesus. For his, for his example and for his life and his death and his resurrection. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen.